Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. What's your earliest memory? And what does it say about you, if anything? Well, I'm going to explore that a little bit. And, strangely enough, <laughs> I also found um, a connection to a story about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln in 1865. You'll see how it all fits together. To begin, let me tell you about my earliest memory. I was just thinking about this the other day. I mean, it's not something that comes up that often, but, well, everybody has some place deep in the recesses of your mind that you can you can reach really far if you try hard back to I'll just tell you this first. My mom and dad were both born in 1952. They were high school sweethearts. They got married right out of high school. They've been together ever since. They're together to this day. And they only had two kids. I was the firstborn. I was born in 1976. So next month, I will be 44 years old right there near Halloween, of course, October the 25th. And then six years later, my sister, Jessica, was born. And she was born just after Halloween, actually, on November the 5th. My mom's birthday is November the 3rd, so <laughs> we, we just had a cluster of birthdays around Halloween every year, which added to the festive environment. But anyway, so here I was, born in the 1976, first born, and I'm giving you that much context because I've been told that I have an exceptional memory, uh, I guess on many levels, but for one thing, I can remember uh, numerous instances before I could talk. And I, I remember when I was in college, one of the psychology professors said, you're not supposed to be able to remember that far back. And and I you know and I don't remember exactly you know what how old I was when I learned to talk, but it wasn't some kind of like weird thing. I mean I know that uh, I read one time that uh, Einstein was four years old before he started talking. I mean like for me I was just you know I started talking at a normal age. Uh, I don't have kids, so I have no idea. But I was there was nothing special about when I started talking. What is special is that I can remember all these things before that was developed in me. So the very first thing, if I reach back as far as I can in my memory, the very first thing I recall is I remember being in a crib and I remember what the room looked like. We, I remember what the house looked like. But the main thing is I remember sitting right there more or less in front of me Cookie Monster you know from Sesame Street the big blue furry thing cookie 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 right a big stuffed cookie monster is the first thing that I remember when I entered this world now obviously of, of, of course I was I, I was introduced to a lot of figures before this moment. You know, obviously the first person I guess I saw was 
a doctor and some nurses and then my mom and my dad, you know, all that kind of stuff that's typical. But the first thing that made an impression on me that I can recall at this moment was Cookie Monster. And I've never really thought that much about that before and like, huh, I mean... Did that make an impact on me in some way? That the first thing that I really latched onto that stood out to me was a big blue furry inhuman creature looking thing, right? Something that Jim Henson came up with after he smoked a few doobies, I imagine. And and that probably ate some cookies. Uh, and so, now the thing is, I was not afraid of Cookie Monster. I didn't like Cookie Monster, I was indifferent. I mean, like, I, 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 it's, I, I, you might think, oh my gosh, Josh was uh, terrified when he saw Cookie Monster. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that something happened, a spark went off in my mind, and I perceived Cookie Monster there, and I had no emotion or instinct attached at all to Cookie Monster. It was just, here's where we are now, and there's that. And, uh, what, what, a, what a moment, really, you know, if you think about, like, just suddenly the, the switch turns on, and you have a blank slate. You don't have any of this programming in your mind. You don't have any of this baggage. You don't know any of these rules and all. You see all the shit that, that you're, you know, you, you accumulate. It starts very, very quickly learning to become a creature, you know, an educated alien on this weirdo planet. But no, this is like fresh slate. There's nothing there. This is all I got. No context whatsoever. Just a big blue furry thing with big googly eyes sitting in front of me. And I'm like, okay. And that was that. Now the next memory that I have is uh, of my mom and dad trying to teach me, uh, I guess, how to speak and stuff. And so they were saying, like, what does a cow do, Josh? And uh, moo. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. What 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 does a dog do? You know, like teaching me animal sounds and stuff. And then from there, you know, there are a series of all these, like, little weird flashes of things uh, and I'm not going to go through my whole early, you know, childhood, but I was thinking the other day, I wonder if that is, you know, I, I've never talked about this ever. I've never talked about this in a public format. I think I've mentioned it to Lauren a few times, but that's it. I mean, and so I was thinking, wouldn't it be weird if we discovered that a lot of people who were like me, who are into kind of strange, mysterious stuff, can reach back and find that for some reason their earliest memory was some kind of uh, you know a striking uh, image of something non-human because the thing about Cookie Monster is Cookie Monster looks human enough that uh, you know you can relate to him uh, but He's you've never you've never seen anything in in real life that looks like that. You don't have big blue furry things like that running around. You know, even people who are into Bigfoot and whatnot, they don't they don't describe some 
shit like, you know, Cookie Monster. So I, I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting to just kind of toss that out to my audience and see if uh, if I start getting this wave of people who go, you know, I'll be damned, you're right. The first memory I have is of seeing something that's kind of like weird. And that was my baseline. That was my reference. That was my starting point for the rest of my life. So if you want to share with me your earliest memory, if you think it had an impact, well, you're welcome to do so. Um, you can go to joshuapwarren.com and uh, scroll down the homepage. You'll find my email address. You can email me. And and believe me, I read every single email, but I don't have the time to answer them all. So don't be offended if I can't get back to you, but I will read them. Uh, or you can leave a comment on my, uh, you know, if you want, I go to my Twitter page at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and you can comment there. And I'm going to look at all this and say, huh, I wonder if there's something to it. Because you see, these these memories that you have when you're a little kid, I mean, they really do uh, shape you in some way, and and that's why you know psychologists they they talk about subconscious things. And I was just going down the rabbit hole on YouTube the other day. Sometimes I do that. I'm sure a lot of us do that when you're just trying to wind down and go to sleep or something. And I found this pretty, I thought it was a pretty amazing little video from 1956 from an old, obviously black and white show there called I, I've Got a Secret. I've Got a Secret. So you have the host who brings out some person who sits down and they are facing a panel of I presume maybe celebrities of the day and then the celebrities are trying to guess what the person's secret is and somehow or other there's a cash prize involved and on this particular episode they brought out this very feeble 96 year old man and his secret was that he was the last living person who witnessed the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So this man was born in 1860, and he was five years old when he was there at Ford's Theater the night that Lincoln was shot. I believe they were, he was watching the play, I think it was called Our American Cousin, so this would have been April 14th of 1865, one of those April events that you hear me talk about. And so this five-year-old kid ha- had this chaotic, confusing, like weird, dramatic night play out right before his eyes. And it, it affected him the rest of his life. You know, he's 96 years old on this show, and yet he is talking about, uh, or, or, you know, he's talking about how it scared him to death, see, you know, being there when that happened. And then there is follow-up that I'm going to share with you about how that it sort of, you know, has haunted him throughout his whole life, being there for something like that. So here's what I want to do. I want to play for you the audio from this segment 
Now, again, this is from 1956. The show is called I've Got a Secret. Uh, to help you imagine this, it's, you know, so-so quality footage. The host brings the old man out, and he's he's just hobbling out, and he's hunched over, and he, he looks like he's got a bandage or something, and you'll hear why that is. He took a tumble or something recently. And the panel sitting across from him, uh, they have the, the they're sitting behind a counter uh, or a, a big uh, panel display, I guess, that has these huge packs of Winston cigarettes on it. <laughs> it's just like such a typical 1950s game show type setup. So I want you to hear the audio from that actual segment of this show. And then I'm going to give you some follow-up information. So uh, check this out. I've got a secret. I would like to go over and personally escort our next guest on the show tonight. Then, sir, will you tell our panel, please? Let's get in a little closer. Do you mind if I pull you in, sir? There we go. Will you tell our panel, please, what your name is and where you're from? My name is Samuel J. Seymour. I'm from Maryland. This is Mr. Seymour from Maryland. And we brought Mr. Seymour yeah, all the way up from Maryland, and by golly, he got in a hotel and fell down the steps and gave himself a shiner. And uh, we urged him not to come on the show tonight, as a matter of fact, and finally got in touch with his doctor, and the doctor said it was up to Mr. Seymour. Mr. Seymour said he wouldn't miss it. So here he is. And feeling a party for the Now then, Mr. Seymour, uh, how old are you, by the way, sir? Ninety-six. Ninety-six years old. Now, sir, if you'll whisper your secret to me, I'm sure the folks at home would like to know what it is. classify his secret, I will tell you it concerns something that he witnessed, <clears throat> and Bill Cohen will start with you. <clears throat> something that he saw, something he saw happen. This thing that Mr. Seymour saw, does it uh, have uh, historical significance? Uh, does this have historical significance, Mr. Seymour? I would say yes, wouldn't you, sir? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I can't hear him very good. You have Yeah, there's uh, quite a distance between our desks here. Let's uh, all speak up, huh? Does it have... Uh, does it have political significance? It had political significance at the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, if you're 96, I would make Mr. Seymour born in uh, 1860. 1860. Uh, Henry is such a mathematician. Yeah. He's been writing over there all the time. Uh, <laughs> this, uh, this thing, did it have anything to do with the uh, Civil War, Mr. Seymour? Uh, no, it had not to do with the Civil... Well, uh, let's say indirectly it was concerned with the Civil War. Did it... Con all right, an answer? Mm -hmm. Did it concern a famous person in, uh, in American history? Very well-known person. Did it concern a famous person, Mr. Seymour? Yeah. Yep. Uh, would it help me to know who this person was? 
<laughs> he wants to know if it would help him to know who this person was, and he has to know who that is, yes. Uh, was this man, uh, did this man hold political office? Did this man hold political office, sir? Yes. yes. $20 down and $60 to go, and we go to Jane Meadows. McKinley. Mr. Seymour. <laughs> Henry he... is being his usual helpful self by whispering to Jane McKinley. And I'm not listening. <laughs> Mr. Seymour, would this person have ever been president of the United States? Was he ever president, this man? Oh, I think he was once. Would he it was. have been Abraham Lincoln? It was Abraham Lincoln, yes. You witnessed something to do with Abraham Lincoln. Was this a pleasant thing? Was it a pleasant thing you saw, sir? Not very pleasant, I don't think. I no. was scared to death, so. <laughs> said, no, he was scared to death. Would it have had anything to do with uh, the President Lincoln's death, by any mm -hmm. chance? Unfortunately, yes. Did Mr. Seymour witness the shooting of President Lincoln? about Mr. Seymour through a recent article in the American Weekly and said, I saw Lincoln shot. And this article is by Samuel J. Seymour. And it goes on to say that Mr. Seymour was five years old at the time. He had been taken to Ford's Theater by some good friends. And the curious thing was that in the, when he was, in, in this youth, five years of age, when he saw Booth jump from the box to the stage, at which time he broke his leg, his only concern was not for the president, because he didn't realize that the president had been shot but the poor man who fell out of the balcony. And that's all of his memory is of going to the theater and seeing a man fall out of the balcony. Sir, it's been a great joy and uh, you might say an honor to have you are, by the way, the only living witness of that tragic event. And we are certainly going to forfeit the complete $80 to you just for your courage in coming here to see us tonight. Well, there you go. That's kind of an amazing thought, isn't it? to envision being there to see something of that magnitude happen and it also helps to sort of remind you I guess about how that our country has always been tumultuous <laughs> the world has always been tumultuous every generation has said this is the most ridiculous crazy time in history uh, and, and you know, right now, if you think that we're we're torn in this country, uh, just think about the Civil War when we were literally out there just murdering each other as hard as we could every single day, and all the people who got caught up in that mess. It's not surprising to me that we have all this drama in this country. What is surprising is that progress is is so slow i mean it's like you see the same themes just keep getting recycled over and over and over again in one form or another and uh it just becomes redundant at a certain point but anyway here's a little bit more uh, information on this gentleman that i know that you will find interesting So, when he went to Ford's Theater that day, this five-year-old man, and his name again was Samuel J. Seymour of Maryland, <laughs> currently, or he was currently in, in 1956. I'm sure he's long gone now. 
Uh, Mr. Seymour was accompanied to Ford's Theater by his nurse, a woman named Sarah Cook. So uh, he must have been in a pretty well-off family. Uh, His nurse, Sarah Cook, and by a woman named Mrs. Goldsboro, who was the wife of his father's employer. Got that? So he's with these two ladies, Sarah Cook, his nurse, and Mrs. Goldsboro, the wife of his father's employer. Here's what the article says from the time about his experience. It says, Mrs. Goldsboro pointed directly across the theater to a colorfully draped box. Quote, See those flags, Sammy? She asked. That's where President Lincoln will sit. End quote. When he finally did come in, she lifted me up so high so I could see. He was a tall, stern-looking man. I guess I just thought he looked stern because of his whiskers, because he was smiling and waving to the crowd. When everyone sat down again and the actors started moving and talking, I began to get over the scared feeling I'd had ever since we arrived in Washington. But that was something I never should have done. All of a sudden, a shot rang out. A shot that always will be remembered. And someone in the president's box screamed. I saw Lincoln slumped forward in his seat. People started milling around, and I thought there'd been another accident when one man seemed to tumble over the balcony, over the rail, and land on the stage. Hurry, let's go help the poor man who fell down, I begged. But by that time, John Wilkes Booth, the assassin, had picked himself up and was running for dear life. He wasn't caught until 12 days later when he was tracked to a barn where he was hiding. Only a few people noticed the running man, but pandemonium broke loose in the theater with everyone shouting, Lincoln shot! The president's dead! Mrs. Goldsboro swept me into her arms and held me close, and somehow we got outside the theater. That night, I was shot fifty times at least in my dreams, and I sometimes still relive the horror of Lincoln's assassination, dozing in my rocker as an old codger like me is bound to do. Now think about that. You know, uh... It's one thing to hear the story like, oh, yeah, Lincoln was shot, or, or anybody was shot for that matter. But to this five-year-old kid in particular at that time, you know, you have to realize these, <laughs> this is a kid who had, he didn't grow up in a world full of horror movies and theme parks and TV shows and video games and, you know, all this crap that, you know, we grew up with. I mean, we we have become kind of sadly desensitized to a lot of horrible stuff to a certain degree. 
But this kid had never been exposed to anything. And it doesn't sound like he even saw, you know, a gory scene necessarily. But it was just being in that situation where, where everybody is just starts flipping out and something obviously horrible has happened with this almost unimaginable historic weight um it just you know it scared him so badly that it haunted him the rest of his life he said here he is i'm an old man he says he you know he can't doze without sudden times you know jumping awake reliving the assassination of abraham lincoln let that sit in a little bit with you for a while about um the significance of a real event versus how you imagine something is or how you see it portrayed in a film or something like that you know think about how different it is to be somewhere where like you don't even know what's happening when it happens like right now at least we can look back on that incident and we're like oh yeah here's what happened a b c d it's very clinical but to be there in the moment like you said you know pandemonium words mean things and pandemonium is a hell of a word uh i mean nobody knew exactly what was going on and sometimes that's just the scariest thing of being in the middle of a situation and trying to live through it in real time it's just like right now um we are all going through a very bizarre transition in reality and of course uh that's what makes it so scary for so many people i guarantee you in five years historians will look back on the year 2020 and they will say well here's here's how that went down a b c d you know and now the, and 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 it, it, they'll seem removed from it because in hindsight everything as they say is 2020 it's very crystal clear when you can look into the past living through something however is a completely different story so look at how that affected him and my intro to the world was cookie monster and I never, I never had, you know, some kind of shocking thing happen to me like that when I was a kid. But it makes me wonder if my intro to this world was Cookie Monster. What are we going to experience if we really do have some kind of an alien encounter? You know what? What is what is that going to look like? Is it going to be something that we are going to be comfortable with or uncomfortable with or just indifferent toward or like are they already here and we don't even recognize it? Could be. You know, we have created a very bizarre set of circumstances here on our planet. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I was just watching a video the other day about this parrot. It's an African gray called Petra and you know a, a very intelligent bird that likes to talk a lot and you know how I've joked about there are some basic rules that you need to follow in life like don't ever marry a lawyer and don't screw a reporter here's another one 
don't get Alexa if you have a parrot. Because it turns out that these parrots sit there and talk to Alexa all damn day. All right? This is not a joke. I'm telling you. People leave the house. They have a parrot. The parrot starts talking to Alexa. And you know what I mean by Alexa? That's the Amazon system where you just give it voice commands and it starts doing shit for you. So you have these parrots. Well, first, you know, they start talking to Alexa and they can, oh, I can turn the lights on and off. And, uh, oh, now I can make it warmer in here or cooler in here. Alexa, which is a bird, excuse me, Alexa, which is artificial intelligence, starts talking to the parrot, which is a bird. I mean, humans aren't really in the mix here. Next thing you know, the parrot's getting on the Internet, and got, he's probably looking at parrot porn. You know how it goes. And then after that, they're sending him a fucking ballot to vote for the president. Now, I bring this up because this is all about the strangeness of encounters. Uh, it's like me being born into the world and I see Cookie Monster and I go, okay, this is what I got. We have this assumption that when one form of life encounters another form of life it's somehow going to look like what we want it to look like but we are creating these encounters right now between creatures like you know these birds and this artificial intelligence and they're coming together and they are i don't know what they're doing when you're away i don't know what alexa's doing i know one thing i would never have alexa in my house but these are examples for you of how that you need to be very, very careful about, um, I guess, sort of perceiving how the interaction will occur between ourselves and any other dimensions of, of, of beings that we might encounter. Speaking of ballots, uh, you know, I do my best not to mention anything political on this show because you get enough of that already, but... Mobius, he emailed me the other day and he said, I think that maybe we need to at least tell the listeners what we know about the Postal Service. <laughs> because this mail-in ballot thing has become so controversial. And I've done absentee ballots before, so, but I guess it's being pushed harder than ever. Just today here in Nevada, I got a card from the Election Commission uh, telling me that, uh, well, you know, you're going to get a ballot in the mail, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, when I was in North Carolina, well, you'd have to put in a request for that. Well, now everybody gets their ballot in the mail. And so uh, a lot of people are just going to be like, well, yeah, there's no point in going out of the house. I can sit here and watch Netflix and eat Doritos and put in my vote and drop it in the mailbox. And, you know, that's, that sounds great. I mean, I I understand but here's what we need to share with you. Okay, I have been in the shipping business for over 20 years. Hell, I've been a member of just eBay um, since 1998. I've always had a 100% positive feedback rating, by the way. Never had one negative review ever. 
I've uh, sold, I bought, and uh, and you know I I'm always coming up with products and selling books and all that kind of stuff. And Mobius and I sometimes we sit around and we laugh our asses off, uh, but because sometimes we send out a package. And something so like horrific happens to the package. For one thing, you may or may not realize this. And look, I'm not trying to crack on any of these people who deliver mail. Okay, they're very hardworking people. They're overworked and they're very stressed. But the reality is that there are are cases where somebody who is in a delivery service, and this could be the the postal service or FedEx or UPS or you know whatever. There are people who are in the delivery business who you know they they've they've reached the end of their day and they just take whatever they have and maybe they're not supposed to do it but they do they'll take it and they'll just put that uh container in their uh, house for the night in their personal house with their dogs running around and their kids running around and Maybe something gets spilled. Maybe something gets lost. Maybe the dog, you know, gets into it. I mean, that happens a lot. Um, Secondly, uh, I mean, we actually know personally a woman who used to work for the post office who told us that there was a truck that was traveling from North Carolina to South Carolina on i-26 and traveled for miles before realizing that he had the the driver had left the back of the truck open accidentally and that literally hundreds if not thousands of pieces of mail had been blowing out of the back of the truck and were scattered all the way down the highway and so they had to send out an emergency team to scour you know for days through the dirt and the grass and the <laughs> and you know he this driver was going over bridges over over rivers and stuff i mean like to just see what they could pluck see what they could pluck out of the uh out of the dirt and you know, it's, then something something doesn't arrive and somebody goes oh well who do you talk to oh well uh, and and then like we have had packages. One of them is I th- I guess this is our favorite package. It was a package. That, uh, this was years ago that we sent. I can't even remember. Mobius has all the details because he's my shipper. He should really be telling these stories instead of me. But um, we had a package that we sent off, and I don't, somehow it got returned to us like six months later. And we we immediately said this thing looks like it has gone through a war zone. It might have literally gone through a war zone. It was like charred and it had bullet holes in it, and it just it was the most pitiful, horrible looking thing. I I, I said we have got to frame this, okay. And I I you know what I may have framed it to be honest with you. I have so much stuff in storage in various places across the country. I probably said give me that. Yeah, and 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 it's stored because it's just so ridiculous. So, listen, um, don't fall for any of this talk about like, oh yeah, it's just fine to, to do your your ballot and send it in. Uh, yeah, it'll make it where it's supposed to go. Everything's like these are human beings who are in charge, and human beings are human beings, and they're subject to human error. So, 
I mean, you're 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 going to be lucky if you make it to the actual election booth and vote and it gets to where it's supposed to be not to mention putting it in the hands of other people um so if there's any way that you can vote without mailing it do it okay do it just uh i i feel comfortable telling you that because i'm not promoting a particular party i'm just saying as far as the system is concerned mobius and i who are professional shippers highly 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 advise you to go in person and cast your vote if you can all right and you can pass that information along to everybody you know because unless you're a professional shipper and you ship thousands of things all over the world every year you might not realize just how uh sloppy the operation can become so that's it we are in a world right now where there are many transitions, many transformations. We don't know what it's going to look like as this process continues. And as I've told you, I do think that we are on the verge of having some type of more direct contact with beings from somewhere else. You know, space aliens. And you may have heard this news it's a little bit old i think i think it's two days old and nowadays that's old right two days old but uh (laughs) if you haven't heard this let me share this with you Uh, this has been all over the place airline pilots report seeing guy in jetpack flying near lax during approach yeah so an airplane is flying in the Los Angeles airport LAX and the captain sees a guy in a jetpack and get a load of this they're flying at that point at 3,000 feet uh, here's the article and you can read it and again it's all over the place everybody covered it this particular one comes from Fox News it says here an American Airlines pilot in California reported seeing a guy in a jetpack flying roughly 3,000 feet above ground as he was nearing Los Angeles International Airport, according to a recent report. The American flight 1997 pilot was roughly 10 miles away from LAX uh, while it was still light out when he spotted the unusual sight and notified authorities quote tower american 1997 we just passed a guy in a jetpack end quote the pilot can be heard saying in radio transmissions obtained by the news station when the air traffic controller asks whether the pilot said the person was on the right or left side of the plane he responds quote off the left side maybe 300 yards or so about our altitude end quote the Federal Aviation Authority told Fox the sighting happened shortly after 6.30 p.m. local time. A second pilot then piped in, according to the report, telling air traffic control, quote, we just saw the guy passing by us in the jetpack, end quote. So that's a second pilot. It says, it's not clear what happened to the jetpack traveler who had not been located as of now. An FAA spokesperson 
said the agency, quote, alerted local law enforcement to the reports and is looking into these reports. A spokesperson for the LAPD said they have not received any information about the incident. Yeah, supposedly they were about 3,000 feet up when they saw this guy in the jetpack. And you might say, wow, come on, is that even possible? We'll get a load of this. Turns out, jetpacks can fly 15,000 feet. 15,000 feet. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, I mean, it's been done. You can look it up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. People have been up there 15,000 feet in a damn jetpack. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, I, I, I guess maybe they're wearing a, a parachute and so they, they feel confident going up that high. But can you imagine being fifth? It's just you with a backpack on looking down on the world like Iron Man. You know, you're 15,000 feet up in the air. So 3,000 feet's not that much, I guess. You know, my buddy Corby Waste, he works for the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory there near Pasadena. And he wrote, uh, I guess this was on uh, either Facebook or Twitter. He, he, he saw this story and he wrote, Suspiciously sounds like something an aerospace billionaire genius engineer with an eccentric twist might do. Not naming names, but there is a cherry red Tesla with a star man driving through space right now with his name on it. His aerospace company is in El Segundo, literally next to LAX. If you see where I'm going with this, it may be a new way of commuting the real rocket man <laughs> of course he's talking about elon musk who is one of the richest men in the world and uh why not why not you know he probably smokes a doobie gets out that backpack flies to work i would not doubt it I would not doubt it. So anyway, um, <laughs> is this a guy though? I mean, that that's the thing. Like, is this a guy flying around? Or are we looking at some kind of the, the very first glimpse of, well, let's call them space invaders from people that actually are beings that actually are visiting us from another realm, another world. And we are completely unprepared for how that's going to happen. That's one of the things that does make it exciting to live, isn't it? Especially these days. You, you wake up and you go, well, I have no clue what's going to happen today. I, there's no sense even trying to imagine because what's going to happen is beyond what I can imagine. This could be uh, some kind of scout coming in here, getting ready for the next big transition that's going to occur, and nothing would surprise us at this point. Ah, well. Let me read you some emails 
it's one cool thing about the show, isn't it? That uh, you get feedback from people around the world. Uh, this is actually pretty cool. This came in from a friend of mine named Eric, who lives in Asheville, North Carolina. That's, of course, where I have the haunted Asheville ghost tours. And uh, as I mentioned before, you better hurry up and buy your ticket because Halloween's going to be here before you know it. Uh, Eric, he was going every day and voting for the Haunted Asheville Ghost Tours as the top ghost tour in the USA. And I'm recording this right now on the evening of September the 3rd. And so tomorrow they're going to announce the winner. So I don't know if we're going to be a winner or not. I feel pretty sure we're going to be right there toward the top. Hopefully we'll be number one, but I feel sure we're going to be toward the top. So in my next podcast, I'll, I'll let you know how that turns out. That's the USA Today poll for the best ghost tour in America. Reader's poll. Um, but I said that I set a wishing machine so that every time you cast a vote, something lucky or fortunate would happen for you. And you would not believe the amount of emails I've gotten from people who have been telling me about these really fortuitous, wonderful things that have been happening once they started participating. And that again, that's what I set the machine for. He wrote this. He said, here is something for the podcast. I was voting for Haunted Asheville every day. And today, a $683 check showed up out of the blue from a company I worked for two years ago. <laughs> How about that? Two years ago. So obviously, this is a pretty rare and weird thing. <laughs> so, Congratulations, Eric. Thank you for sharing that with me. Hey, uh, and that's, by the way, that's not C. Eric Scott. I know two or three Eric's. But last year, I was hanging out with this Eric and C. Eric Scott in Chicago. And man, we had a blast. I'm so glad we were there then and not now. <laughs> it's so sad to see what's been happening to these big cities that are just getting run into the ground right now. I just, you know, and, and, and again, a lot of it has to do with politics, and I just cannot wait until this damn election is over with, and you just, you know, next year is going to be a lot better, I promise you. Okay, uh, here's another interesting email. Now, this one, uh, this had me scratching my head. This came from Dominic in the UK. And uh, he has been a listener and a supporter of mine for a long time. And uh, he, he's actually, um, he just has a really open mind and he likes to experiment with things. And I was really interested to get this report from him because you know how a while back I um, made available the true golden ratio pendant? That was just for a very limited time, and I have no plans of, of doing that again right now. But I do have a new product coming out soon. Uh, but I'm sorry if you missed the window on getting the Golden Ratio Pendant. 
you know that that's that's over with. You can't get the emerald wand anymore. Shelley Wright's money potion is gone. Um, we just sold our last vortex wand. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, like, you know, I'm, I'm not Walmart, and there's not an infinite supply of the things that I make, or, or that you know, things I provide access to. So, when I tell you you need to get something, I hope you'll take it seriously. So he was one of those people. He knows that. He keeps up with my work, and he knows when Joshua says you better get something, you better get it. So he got one of these true golden ratio pendants, and listen to what he wrote to me. And he said I could. I could read this on the podcast. He said, I received the golden medallion, and when I put it on, I felt a slight shift in the area around my head. I thought it was likely to be the first place for me to experience something because I've experienced a sense of a lot of pressure around there for unknown reasons for the last few decades. So he has a sensitive head area. He says, but I don't quite know what to make of something that happened with it on the first day. Now listen to this, folks. Now really think about what he's saying here. I've been using the string that came with it. So by the way, if you don't know, it came with a cord I think it's a a satin cord that you can just adjust and tie. Uh, It says, I've been using the string that came with it, and once knotted, the knot would be at the back of my neck. After taking it off for a while, I put it on later when I stepped out of the house with the knot still tied. I have a radionics medallion from another company that I've had around my neck with a silver chain worn 24 hours a day for the last dozen years. When I took the golden mean medallion off at the end of the first day, I suddenly noticed that the silver chain of my other medallion was mysteriously running through the center of the knot. That didn't make sense. Because when I stepped out of the house that day, they were certainly separate, and I wouldn't have tied them together anyway. Perhaps it's something that one might expect to happen in a stage magician act. I'm going to read what what he said again now. He says, When I took the golden mean medallion off at the end of the first day, I suddenly noticed that the silver chain of my other medallion was mysteriously running through the center of the knot like something again like a stage magician act he says that certainly bemused me in a happy way and perhaps i'm still speechless thinking about it then he goes on to say usually if i want to interact with people i'm struggling and my energy usually gets sucked down into a mental chasm around me. What I've noticed in the first couple days is is that there has been a lot more pleasant communication with others, and it has continued to be pleasant since. I suppose that it's as if I'm usually endlessly plowing through walls of chaotic energy, struggling to think clearly and manifest ideas coherently. Well, my day-to-day ideas seem to come through in a much, much more comfortable way and coherent. So I'm very pleased with what it's doing. Many thanks. And again, that comes from Dominic 
in the UK. Well, thank you, Dominic. I appreciate that very much, and I am absolutely delighted that you are having success and you know using that product. And you just wait; more more good things are going to happen. <laughs> Considering that it is September now, and I know that it's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Before you know it, yeah, it'll be Christmas. We say that every year, don't we? But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Since next month is going to be the Halloween month, I, I've been thinking about possibly uh, doing something that's been suggested to me. Um, I told you that I finished a new book, and that's totally separate. I haven't announced what that is yet. But the very first book that I ever wrote uh, as a teenager was called Joshua Warren's Gallery of Mystery and Suspense and it is a book of fictional scary short stories and poems and if I have copies of that book that are autographed you can go to joshuapwarren.com click the link to the curiosity shop and if they are in stock you can get a copy of that with my rare book set but what I think I might do for the first time ever to celebrate Halloween is make that book available as an ebook that you can buy and instantly download as a PDF online. And uh, because you know what's funny is I'm I'm always self-conscious about my writing. Um I think all writers are. But some of the stuff is, you know, I think it stood the test of time to such an extent that every year I at least read some of the poems uh on whatever radio show I've been doing and everybody seems to love them so just keep that in the back of your mind I think I might uh, bring my book out the first book I ever wrote as a kid as a PDF Uh, also as you know I have this brand new book I'll be telling you about soon and I'm really excited about it I have a new product that I am developing and I hope to have that I hope to be ready to tell you about it uh, within the next 30 days we're going to see it's not easy to put together something like this trust me it is not easy (laughs) but this has been a pretty astounding thing so you want to hear about that and then also I have a new announcement for you soon and that's if everything goes the way it's supposed to regarding this particular podcast so i hope you'll stay tuned and if you like this podcast please tell everybody about it tell your friends tell your loved ones tell them to go to joshuapwarren.com if you're in the Asheville area and you want to take the Haunted Asheville Ghost Tours, go to hauntedashville.com. Click the big red button there that says Book Online Now, and a calendar will come up and let you know what dates and times we have available. But if you go to joshuapwarren.com, I hope that you will check out the Curiosity Shop, see what we do still have there in stock. I hope that you will sign up for my free e-newsletter there. It takes you about two seconds. When you do that, you will receive, if you're a first-time signer up there first time subscriber you'll get an instant digital good luck charm sent to you but click the link to this podcast please it's called joshua p warren 
daily. And it's always short. It's always free. It's commercial free, uncensored, independent, independent. And when you go there, you will have the option of subscribing through all kinds of different platforms. So pick whatever you like or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren at Joshua P. Warren. And I will usually tweet when a new one is available. So that is it for today. Boy, do I have some good stuff to share with you uh, next time. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.